about a month ago, I was home alone. My wife is a, is a nurse and she works a couple times a week. And so I had all three kids to myself and we were doing supper together. And my two older kids, Ava and Aiden, actually, I think we have a picture of my family. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Brandon Gersal. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, that's my beautiful family, my wife, Melanie, uh, my daughter, Ava, my middle child, Aiden, and the youngest is Alexander. And so we're having fun. And anyway, I was doing the mealtime thing. Anybody ever done like one on three for mealtime and you get a toddler? Anyway, you know how that goes. And so I'm, I'm trying to get the meal prepared and, and get them fed, you know, how dads cook. I think it was alfagetti or egos or something along those lines. I got a couple things I can make, uh, Fruit Loops, you know, the, all, the, all the, the staples. And anyway, I'm feeding my kids. And my son, the youngest, Alexander, we, we swapped up his sippy cup. He used to have the kind with the handle on it that, you know, you just, you'd fill it up and you bang it out like this. And uh, we changed it to the one that has like a straw in it and the straw flips up. And so I gave him the cup and didn't realize that he didn't know the physics of it. And so when he took it, he did what he always does. And he flipped it up like a boss and he's going to drink out of it. And he was, he wasn't getting anything. The milk wasn't coming out. And so the kid's getting super frustrated. He's got a bit of his mother in him, I'm going to say. And no, just joking. All me. He's getting frustrated and angry. He's like beating the thing on, the, on, this, on his little table. And he's like... You know, and I can see him getting mad. And I walk over like, bud, relax, flip it over, and it's going to work. And so he takes it, and he flips it over and tries it and drinks the straw. And voila, it works. And so he, I had a happy toddler on my hands. Amazing how fast everything changes with one simple observation. You ever had somebody come up to you? Maybe you were, like, using an appliance the wrong way, and you weren't a toddler, baby, but someone came up and said, like, that's not how it works. You just do this and made you feel like an idiot. Anybody? Maybe you're using a word the wrong way, and they corrected you. Like, uh, that word does not work there in that context. My wife loves to do that to me. I'm the professional speaker. I'm the order. Leave me alone. She loves to correct my language all the time. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe for you, it was a, a tool you're using the wrong way. We've all had that experience where someone's come and basically, whether it was flipping a sippy cup over, they've flipped something in our minds and they've showed us how to make it actually work. Uh, I think we can all identify with the frustration my little boy had with that whole thing of going to get something out of something and it just isn't working. Do you know what I mean? You ever, you ever gone to something, whether it was a relationship Maybe you went to a relationship and you had this relationship, had high hopes for it, and, and you know, you thought you were doing it right, and you thought all the stuff was in order, yet the stuff wasn't coming out of it that you were hoping to see come out of it, kind of like my son's sippy cup. It just wasn't working. Or, or maybe it was a job for you. Maybe you thought, once I get that job and I get that influence that I'm looking for, then I'm going to get the stuff I'm looking for. And you got the job, and for whatever reason, it just wasn't working. So it's frustrating you, and so you left that job and went on to another one. Has anybody ever had had that experience where you went to something hoping to get something out of it and it just didn't work. I want to suggest to you today that the reason we've all experienced that, we've all experienced that feeling of looking to get something out of life and not getting what we were looking for, I want to suggest that we might be holding it upside down. Keep that picture in your mind. Last week we started a brand new series called God Is. And it's this series we're taking a week-by-week -week walk through the 23rd Psalm. I want to challenge everybody, uh, East, Valley, West, everybody. I want to challenge us to actually memorize those six verses. It's, it's worth the time to memorize it. This is a life verse to hold on to. But we've been walking week-by-week week through this, and we're now in the second week. And last week, we started in with the most beautiful beginning, the most amazing declaration, and that is this. In, this, in, this, in the 
scheme of our series, we said God is question mark. Last week we answered it week one with God is good. He's so, so good, like the song we were singing last week. He's an amazing God. In fact, we said the best way that we could understand him is like a good father. In fact, maybe like this, like a good shepherd, the one who lays his life down for his sheep. He's the one who's been chasing you. Anybody here last week and just found that, hey, this feels really good. Feels like God is good. Feels like grace is good. And so we we discovered that last week as we began in. But this week I want to look at something that if we pull it out of Psalm 23, the whole thing comes apart. In fact, you invert the whole thing in such a way that like my son's sippy cup, you are going to be setting yourself up for failure. It's not designed to function that way. And I want to see if you see it before we unpack it. It says in Psalm 23, if you have your Bible, just open it up. If not, we'll have it on the screen. But I want to see if you notice it. It's like a key that David puts in there, embedded within these lines that for you and I, it's very easy to read over. In fact, the first probably 25 years of my life hearing this scripture, this never occurred to me, but it is huge. And if you pull it out, the whole thing unravels. Let's see if you see it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's so good to me. Here's what he does. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We talked about that. He refreshes my soul. He leads me beside still waters. He gives me rest for my weary heart. He restores my soul. He leads me even on the right path. He leads me on the path of righteousness. Now, I want to, do you see what comes next? He leads me on the path of righteousness for his namesake. He, he doesn't do it for your sake primarily. Get this, hang with me. This is going to challenge you for a few minutes, but it's going to turn into good news, I promise. The ultimate overriding motivation for God to be a good shepherd, to love on you endlessly, to provide ever, never-ending, never-ceasing flow of mercy and grace, to be the good shepherd, the great I am, uh, the bread of life, the healer, the sustainer, the forgiver, all those amazing things that he is and wants to continue to be in your life, he does it for the glory of his own name. He does it for his namesake. Do you see this? Right in these first three verses, David says, the Lord, we said last week, that's, that's the name uh, Jehovah, which means the one or the existing one. God Almighty. He says, God Almighty, insert whatever it is he did, he did it unto his namesake. He did it for his glory. And it's like David puts this in here. Before we go any farther, we're going to get into some amazing, amazing things in these next few weeks. But there's this critical component followed right after the revelation that God is good, and that is this. God is God. Now, that sounds redundant. It sounds like that doesn't need to be stated, but I assure you that needs to be stated. God is God. Any, any cat people in the house? Awesome. You're welcome here. I'm married to one. I, I ha- my wife has two cats, and they live in my house. So that's how that goes. Um, I don't dislike them. I just don't like them. I don't know where that puts me on the scale, but anyway. But one thing I've observed about, we got any dog people in the house, Valley Campus, uh, East, dog people. One thing I've observed between cats and dogs, many things are different, but, but ultimately I've observed this. If you have a dog and you take care of the dog and you provide for the dog, you feed the dog, you walk the dog, you play with the dog, 
You put a roof over the dog's head. You even give it one of those cool little beds. And maybe you're one of those weird people that dresses your dog. That's fine. But whatever it is you did for your dog, at the end of the day, the dog is going to observe, wow, she fed me, took me for a walk, cared for me, loved on me, and put this cool sweater on me. You're awesome. That's what the dog decides, right? The dog's like, it's all about you. Because you're so good to me, obviously you're amazing. Now, if if you look at what a cat does, if you feed a cat, love a cat, and pet a cat, and shelter and clothe, don't clothe cats. That's just so weird. Don't do that. And you, whatever it is, whatever you do for your cat, the cat's going to look at it and say, she feeds me. She pets me, she loves me, she shelters me. I'm awesome. (laughs) Right? The cat is going to misappropriate the goodness of the owner in such a way to think, I'm it. I am the reason she exists. It's all about me. Doesn't the cat have that attitude? Now, I know we're joking about this, but just hang with me on this illustration. There is a very close connection between the way cats see the goodness of their owners and the way a lot of us see the goodness of God. And a lot of us see how good Jesus is. And you hear the good news and you come last week you're like, oh, this feels so good. You mean that he washes away all my sin? Yup. You mean that he paid all my debt? Yup. You mean he died my death? Yup. You mean that he's that good to me? And the thing that David wants us to avoid is thinking, I'm awesome. What this psalm is trying to get us to see is that God's goodness is a function of his glory. It is a function of his godness. God is God and good is who he is. But a lot of us miss the fact in our data, and I'll lead the way on this. Very easily and very subtly, we miss God as God. And we, like when we pray and invite Jesus into our hearts, there's a subtle mindset there that probably indicates cattyanity. Jesus, come on in. Come on into my house, come on into my life. You can join me. But what the Bible wants you to see is a God almighty, a Lord of glory, a King of glory, one who is high and lifted up. And David puts this in here because if you don't get this right, you are going to be living your life like my son with his sippy cup. You're going to be trying to get all this Jesus stuff. You're going to try to get out of it what we say you're supposed to get out of it. And you're going to be like, what's wrong with this? It's not working. Do you know how many people in my 11 years of pastoral ministry I have seen come to church and respond to the gospel because the gospel's good news. And you should hear it as good news because it is good news. But I've seen people respond to it and not get this and then begin to shake it almost as if, why is this not working for me? Like I hear about this joy and transformation and life and peace and all the stuff, the green pastures, and yet I feel like the same person is not working. And the reason it's not working is because it's upside down. I have three quick points and I want, to, I want you to jot these down. 
Number one is this. God is God, and his ultimate intention is his persistent glorification. I'm going to use big words. We're going to get theological, but I promise this is going to hit you in the feels in a minute. God is God, and his ultimate intention is his persistent glorification. David rightly aligns the truth about God, that God is God, and if he really is God, that he's the only God. That there can't be multiple gods. It was funny, I, I came home last week and I saw my son had written uh, on this God is card. He'd filled in his brother's name, Alex. God is Alex. Um, which in my house, if you've ever seen Alex on a tear, he, he makes a convincing argument. But I assure you, Alex is not God. Nothing else is God. There is only one God. There is creator and created. God is God in everything. I want you to hear this. Everything created, everything exists from his glory. Do you know the reason God created everything? From his glory. God, didn't, God wasn't lonely in the universe and said, you know what, I'm going to make Brent Ingersoll to make me feel better. No, God created because he's glorious and because he's a creator. Because out of the overflow of his awesomeness, he created everything. So he creates from his glory. He made all things from his glory. And now watch this. He also made it to exist for his glory. So it is both the byproduct and the participant in his glory. Everything. Deuteronomy ten fourteen says, look. The highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Everything belongs to him. I know you think he's been good to you and you must be awesome, but take your mind up and remind yourself there is one God, creator of everything. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. He's the one that it says in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. And then everything started. He's the one that... Physicists are getting to, they're trying to find when everything began. And they can, they go back as far as the Big Bang, but they can't escape the fact that something outside of time created everything. That's God. God, everything created from and for his glory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From his glory and goodness, he made everything and he called it good. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, look at that. For what? For my glory, God said, whom I formed and made. He made you for his glory. He made me for his glory. And the reason that rubs you the wrong way is because you and I were born upside down. More on that in a second. Everything is from and for his glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Have you ever been driving one night and you saw like a beautiful sunset or a vanilla sky and you just went, wow. God did that so you would say, wow, God, you are awesome. Like some of the things that exist in our world are absolutely mind-blowing and breathtaking. And it's all evidence of a creator, and it all proclaims his glory. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation, I think, for since the creation of the world, 
God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What's it saying? It's saying, open your eyes and stop being so arrogant to think that this is all just some big mistake or some giant coincidence. That there is a designer. Like if you were walking down the beach and you found an iPhone, your conclusion would not be, wow, that's a neat coincidence that just formed itself over billions of years. No, you would say someone engineered this. Someone dreamt this up. And when you look at creation, God wants you to say, look at my mind, look at my brilliance, look at my artistry, look at my beauty. That's what creation, creation screams the glory of God. It is both from and for his glory. Now, when I use the word glory, what do I mean? The the Jews had a word for glory called kavod, and kavod basically meant weight. And what they're talking about is like the substance, like the substance, the weight of his being. It's the radiance. I know we're using abstract language. Hang with me. This is going to help you. It's like the radiance of his person, his holiness. That's why it says, uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The product of his holiness is glory. Are you hanging with me? Is this like, is that what's going on there? His glory is his substance. It's it's God. It's his emanating, magnifying being. That's what it is. And so for his glory, you and I have been destined to live. And you and I were created from it. And life itself flows from God and back to God. We are alive by the glory of God. So, So understand this before we go any further. Creation, all of creation are both products of and participants in the never-ending, never-ceasing glory of God. That's why he made all things. And he created human beings. The Bible says, if you ever read Genesis, Genesis 1 uh, tells about the order of creation. It's not, a scient- it's not a scientific textbook. It wasn't created so you could understand, you know, great detail of anatomics or astrophysics. It's not trying to get deep into biology. It's there to show you the meaning behind the fact that the creator created everything. And the last thing that God created was, do you know? Go home and read it. It's Genesis 1 and chapter 2. The last thing that God created were people. Human beings. And there was a creative order to it, a sequence. And God actually created humans the most glorious. Now bear with my Oscar for a minute. So God made the heavens and the earth. And then it says he actually ordained human beings to sit at the top of the created order. And in so doing, we would both, like I said, we are products of his glory and we are participants in his glory. We were designed to both show his glory and give him glory and receive glory from him by these three ways. First, proximity. Human beings were made to be close to and known by God Almighty. You and I were created to have communion, intimacy with God. Second, we were created to be beautiful. We were actually, the Bible says in Genesis, we were made in the image of God. 
Nothing else did he make in his image. He made us to reflect and represent and radiate his goodness. He created us to be beautiful. This idea of perfection, to be like him. God made us to be like him. Not to be him. That's where we get into trouble. You're going to see that in a second. But God made us to be like him, to radiate his glory. God created us to be beautiful. And God created us with a purpose. He actually gave us. So three Ps, if you want to take notes, proximity, perfection, and purpose. God gave us a purpose, a glorious purpose. Do you know that he said, uh, this is the earth. I give it to you. Have dominion over it. Subdue it. Cultivate it. Bring order to it. Human beings were given purpose. They had a glorious purpose, glorious perfection, and glorious proximity. That's how God created everything. The Bible says we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, and our ultimate purpose is to live from and for the glory of God. I know I'm saying that a lot, but you got to get this before we go any farther. And so if you look at your life, you should recognize, based on what I just said, a handful of capacities or functions or maybe cravings and hungers or longings or things that you live unto. What do I mean? Every one of us, you don't have to be a believer or not here. Maybe you're just checking this whole thing out. I guarantee this is true of you, though, if you're breathing and you're human. Every one of us have a longing for proximity. That we all hunger for the glory of intimacy. Every human being both wants to know people and be known by people. Every one of us. I don't care if you're the most, uh, you're a hermit. You, every human being has been designed to know and be known by God. And so there's a hunger in you to be close. Every one of us. We also have a desire and a hunger or a faculty in us for perfection, for beauty, to do something that's worth something, that, 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 that's beautiful, that's glorious. This can drive our lives. We also have a longing in us for purpose. To, to have, to, does my life matter? Has anybody ever had that question? Like, why am I here? You ever had that? I've, there's been times where I've been driving down the road. It just hits me like a ton of bricks. Like, what are we doing here? This is crazy that we're alive. Maybe, I'm, maybe you think I'm smoking something. I'm not, I promise. But these three capacities, these faculties, this desire for proximity, intimacy, this desire for perfection, this glory of beauty, this desire for purpose, these drive our entire lives. And now here's where the problem comes. Those capacities were created and formed by God from his glory, for his glory. But the problem happens because we began to do life upside down. And from the day we have been born, we have been disconnected from the flow of God's glory. And we were born, I think it's interesting, even in biology, we were born headfirst into the world. Most of us. Some of you were born the other way. But generally, generally, the baby comes out headfirst. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I'm going to unpack it. Number two, God is God. And our ultimate dysfunction comes from our divergent glorification. I tried to pick the biggest words I could possibly find this week. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Our ultimate dysfunction comes from our divergent glorification. Hang with me. We're going to get somewhere. God made us from and for his glory. And he created us for the glory of proximity, the glory of perfection, the glory of purpose. And those things were all designed to be filled and fueled and flowing the glory of God through intimate connection with him. But what happened, and the Bible says it began and we have all been complicit in it, 
is that sin entered the world. And what is sin? Sin is disorder or dysfunction. And where it has come from is that human beings, if you read Genesis 3, what, what happened? It's not that we ate something we weren't supposed to, the, 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 the story goes, but it's in fact that we worshipped something we weren't supposed to. It's we place something above God on our list of glories. And so what happened was the creation on which we were to stand and bring glory to God with, we basically inverted ourselves to where we are now worshiping the created as opposed to the creator. That's where sin comes from. Sin, don't understand it as that bad thing I did. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but that's the fruit of it. Sin ultimately is dysfunction that comes from disconnection or disunion with God. Said better, there's a blockage between you and God called sin. And where sin came from is when human beings created things began to worship created things instead of the creator. That's the root of sin. If you read, if you had, if we had unpack it. We don't. Genesis 3, it says, uh, you will be like God. So Satan tempted them and said, if you eat this, you will be like God. Creator, creation. Romans 1.21 says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Think about that imagery. They thought they were so smart, but they really weren't. They, they, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. What's he saying? He's saying all of us have worshipped creative things. We've held them, created things. We've held them as ultimate in our minds and in our hearts. Stay with me. It says, therefore, verse 24, therefore, God gave them over. Why? Because we have free will. God's not forcing love on anybody. God gave them over to the sinful desires in their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So gratifying the hungers of their flesh. And they exchanged the truth about God Almighty for a lie. And they worshiped and served, here it is, created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. I love how, how Paul's got to slip that in there. So where does sin come from? And what was sin? Sin is dysfunction. It's disconnection, disunion from God. God is the source of life, emanating glory all the time, never shuts it off. And when we come in alignment with that, we live. And he's saying sin came from disunion with God. We got out of the flow of God's glory. Glory gone awry through idolatry. This is, there's that famous verse, uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you and I would probably think of that more as like, uh, you know, I did bad stuff. This, again, it's kind of that, but it's, it's, it's deeper than that. It's we didn't obtain the glory of God. Like we missed it. There's this disconnection. There's this blockage. Like that the glory, it's like we're doing life upside down. The stuff's not coming out. I can't get it. It's not coming down for some reason. And that's because we have elevated created things above creator God. And so failure to glorify God, you can write this down. Failure to glorify God disconnects us from receiving the glory of God, which results in dysfunction and deficiencies. Now, I know we're diving deep today, 
You, you buckle up because this is going to help you in just a minute. But you have to see this. Because I, want you, I, want, I want a new lens for you to see your life and what motivates your decisions. Because we are out of the flow of God's glory, and we've, there's been this blockage in our receiving of it and then our ultimate giving to him, we develop dysfunction and deficiencies. What do I mean by that? Okay, let's break this down for a second. We talked about these three capacities that God has put inside of every human being. These three longings and desires that he was designed to fill. This desire for intimacy or proximity. And so what we have done, because that flow of God's intimacy is not coming into your soul and satisfying you for the glory that you know you are made for, what do we do? We turn to the creation and we look to anything to satisfy that intimate feeling of know, being known and knowing, experience, and we long for experience. And so many of us live our lives gratifying ourself. Correct? Like, isn't that the world we live in? Like, the world of self-gratification? Isn't that, like, how we're born? That's why my toddler began to slam his cup on his thing, because I am me, and I deserve milk now. Right? It's in us. It's in us. Self-gratification. So we seek the world, trying to find things that make us feel like we're alive and to find experiences that we can share with others. This is this, this propensity in us for self-gratification. We need to feel glory. It's not wrong for you that you have desires. Do you understand that? Like your desire for sex is not wrong. God put it in there. Your desire to feel high is not wrong. God put it in there. What's wrong is where we go to satisfy those things and how we go about it. And when we start to elevate those things that can sort of satisfy it, that's where we start to break down. And so we live in a world of self-gratification and we do things to try to feel alive and to feel intimate and to feel known. Uh, if I had time, I would break down the fact that a lot of us live slaves to an orphan spirit. This idea that we know we're disconnected in this world we know there's something that we're made for. We have hungers and longings and desires. And so we spend our lives trying to satisfy that never ceasing hunger to, that never goes away. And so we live as orphans, the self-gratification. Another one, when we think about this idea that you, you need perfection, what do we do to try to feel this perfection? Well, we also live in a world of self-exaltation. There is a reason why when you select a profile picture, it took you 12 pictures to pick just the right one. And we all know you don't really look like that. And, and Right? <laughs> we all do it. Every one of us. Why? Because we're looking to the created to tell me I'm great. Tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm worth something. Like my picture. I want you to click the heart on Instagram. It makes you feel better. Isn't that what that is? Self-exaltation. We live in a world of selfies and Pinterest and likes and dislikes and Hollywood and human hierarchy. Isn't that what politics is? Like just this, this play on human likability and dislikability? Isn't what the, the whole thing is built on, is it not? I'm not joking. Politics are built on approval. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. Approval ratings. It's, it's politics. There's, you know there's a spirit, the political spirit? 
that we all become slaves to. You know, I'm not in politics. No, you're just campaigning for your own Facebook page. We live as slaves to it. And it never satisfies, does it? I got to get a new profile pick up. Selfie, right? We live self-gratifying, self-exalting, self-exaltation, self-justification. Because we were made for a purpose. Do you know that God created you with a glorious purpose? And he designed it to flow from him and through you and unto him. He made that in you. That is why we just, we run around in this world looking for something to make us feel like we matter, like I'm doing something that matters, like I'm lending myself to something great. That's why we attach ourselves to groups. That's why we attach ourselves to public service. These are great things. That's why we play sports in teams. Most of us like the community of it, to be a part of something that matters. We live in a world where we're trying to justify our existence. Are you seeing these patterns in your soul? And that's what we call a religious spirit. We're well, saying hockey's religious? Yes. Yes, sports. It's, it's anything you go to to try to help justify your existence. That's what a religious spirit is. It's, it's, it's worshiping at the altar of something you think is going to make your life matter. And so we become slaves... Because we're living life upside down, we become slaves to these hungers and cravings and capacities in us, to this glorification dysfunction. Okay, now here's the good news. Jesus is God's great, glorious reversal. When Jesus came on the scene, it was really just blowing up all the categories. For instance, for one, the people that really identify with Jesus's message were people who were down and out. Like Jesus came and he preached good news to the poor and it wasn't just the people with poor, like poor financially, like poor in spirit, like the lowly, the downtrodden, the broken, the sick, the hurting, the, the, the abandoned. Those were the ones when Jesus came on the scene that were like, I like this guy. Like, tell me more. And the ones that didn't like him were the ones that if you looked around the world, they were the political elite, the religious elite, the financial elite. They were the, the ones that everyone thought, that person's great. And so as Jesus' time and his ministry went on, you got to see this kind of dichotomy where great people thought he was terrible and awful people thought he was great. And then when you heard him teach, it's like everything was upside down. Everything. Like he, it's like Jesus was playing like opposite game, like my kids do. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Like it's like Jesus was doing that with everything we hold true. He said at one point, he said, you want to, you want to, you want to ascend? You want to be the highest? Be the lowest. You want to be first? Ah, the way to do that's la- you'd be last. Do you want to be rich? Oh, well, the way to be rich is to give more away. Duh. Right? Like everything Jesus said was blowing up our categories. He said, you want to have victory over your enemies? Oh, don't retaliate. Turn your other cheek. Let him hit you again. You want to be a leader? You got to serve. You want to be the greatest? Become the least. You want to live? You got to die. See, all the ways in this world that you and I seek glory, Jesus came to show the other way. Jesus, the Bible says in John 1 that the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, how do, Jesus came down to us, and he went all the way down unto death. And on the other side of death, rose to life. And so here's what he did. He invited everyone who followed him. Here's his central message. Here it is. Matthew 16. This is going to hurt you if you're a cat. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Whoa. That's not politically, politically correct, is it? Oh, you, you, you just go and be you. You get to be whoever you want to be. We're, we're all about you. Jesus isn't. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross. What's that mean? You're going to die. And follow me for whoever desires to save his life. If you want to ascend, if you're playing that game, you're going up, you're going to die. Whoever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's he saying? Come down with me and live. He's saying, you have been living your whole life upside down, bumping your head against the limits of your own misguided glorification. He said, I have come to invert the whole thing, to flip you back up and put the creation back under your feet so that you can know God. You can know the glory of God. You can experience the life for which you have been created. I can make you right with God again, but it's going to be by humbling yourself, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me. Jesus, uh, it says in James, sorry, James says, God opposes the proud. Anybody proud here? If you're not raising your hand, you're proud. Um, He opposes our pride. But here's the good news. He gives grace to the humble. Life is found when we lower ourselves. This is why John the Baptist said, there's Jesus. John the Baptist up until that point had the main platform out of anyone. And he said, there's Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. Now, when we hear that in our ears, in our worldly terms, in the world of self-gratification and justification and and all those things, we think, why would you do that? You had a great following because he knows when I die to myself and follow him and I exalt him, I'm alive. See, I'm alive when I glory in Christ Write this down. Humility and surrender. Humility and surrender aligns us to God's glory and goodness. It aligns us to receive with God's glory and goodness. Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. Our ultimate satisfaction comes from Christ's glorification. Our ultimate satisfaction comes from Christ's glorification. Look what this says. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says in verse 12, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. What's he saying? He's saying Moses in all of his religious pomp, which was amazing, was still a fading, fleeting, counterfeit glory. Watch this, verse 14. But their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, talking about the law, talking about the religious spirit. The same veil, that blockage, remains between them and God. Look, look, watch this though. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their hearts. What's that? What's a veil? It's a separation. There is still that separation between you and God when you are confining to the religious spirit. But watch what it says next. Now the Lord is the spirit. 
the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 16, I missed the main one I wanted to read. Verse 16, go back. But when anyone, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Who's the Lord? The answer is always Jesus. Who's the Lord? Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And when you turn your life to Jesus, what's it happening? It's this great inversion. There is no longer any separation between you and God. You're saying, well, yeah, but I'm not a good person. Nope, but the veil's been removed by his grace. You say, yeah, but I got some stuff I'm still working out. Yeah, you know what? It's not about you. See, that's good news. If you're trying to save your life, you think that's not good news. It's not about you. If you realize that life is found in my own death and denial, that's amazing news. You're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. Look at this. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, nothing separating us. Like think of, I wish I had more time to just preach on how amazing and holy and majestic this book tells us God is. And it says there is nothing separating us from the one that frankly, like in the Old Testament, people died by touching things that represented him. And it's saying there's nothing separating us, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed. Look at that beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image. That's glorious, y'all. Beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. For this comes from the Lord whose spirit. What's Paul saying? He's saying that Christ Jesus is the embodiment. He is glory. He is the king of glory. And when you turn to Jesus, you have rightly unified yourself with the king of glory. And when anyone turns, the veil has been removed. And then look what it says. It says, with unveiled faces, as we behold the glory, the glory comes to us and through us and everything changes. I know I'm using abstract terms. I'm just praying the Holy Spirit would just let this land in your heart. Everything changes when you begin to see Jesus as glorious and you begin to invite his glory to take up more and more of the space that you and your glory once occupied. It says, Christ has set us free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does that mean? Think about this. What, what were the three channels? When I turn to Christ, I am finally and fully known. All of the life and meaning and that, that longing for proximity, for intimacy, you know the Lord of glory. Like, think about this. Like, just this weekend, Friday night, I, I went and played basketball at the YMCA and there were three guys that were there from, uh, from the St. John Riptide. And I was so excited to go home and tell my son, hey, bud, your dad played basketball with Anthony Anderson. And which is cool, fine. But like, I know Jesus I know the king 
of kings. And get this, he knows me. It wasn't like, who's this guy who's too old to be playing with me? Right? <laughs> Jesus knows me. Like I'm fully known. Like some of you, you just want to meet someone that makes you feel like that thing that you're missing. Jesus, like as you turn to him, I am known. You're close. Think about that longing for perfection. In Christ, I am perfect. Like, so all of that, like, work that we do for how you see me and how I see you, all the selfies and all the stuff and all the posturing and all the putting it out there, like, as we turn to Christ, that stuff just melts. Because the most beautiful being in all of creation radiates his glory on you. He holds nothing back and you are being transformed into his image. Like some of you ladies here, you need to hear the spirit say, I think you're beautiful. Stop. Stop obsessing. Like as you turn to him, your longing, your slavery to that spirit is gone. Think about your purpose. Some of you, like, you just, you go from job to job to job to job and this hobby to that hobby and this team to that team. Imagine what it feels like to turn to Christ and find that you are my workmanship, son, with whom I am well pleased. And I have created you since the beginning of time for good works that I've set aside just for you. Like you're an individual. Your life can matter. I've been on a journey with this. I, uh, if you ever take like a personality profile, like I'm just high achiever. There's a, something called an Enneagram. Like I'm a performer achiever, like person who just lives to, I live to not just uh, to, 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 to win. That's it. Like, that's my personality. And God put that in me. There's nothing wrong with that. But I've gone through a season, and we've been in a season at our church where we're growing and we're multiplying, and it's all good stuff. But somewhere even through the summer, I just, my heart was getting depleted, and I just needed, I needed something. And a buddy of mine showed up out of nowhere, a guy who's just highly prophetic, and he said, the Lord sent me here, and he wants to pray something over you. And he began to pray over me. And all of the striving and the, just the constant, like, Work, work, just working, all of it in a moment, the Lord began to speak to me and he said this word. He said, son, I enjoy you. And in a moment, like a thousand successes and a thousand failures became irrelevant. He likes me. Like, doesn't matter. He doesn't care how big my church is. Doesn't care how big my platform is. And when you taste the real thing, all of those counterfeits become so cheap and so plastic. 
so I left that experience, and a few days later, my wife and I hopped on a plane, and we went to uh, California, and uh, I'd never been there. We went to go to a, a Christian conference, and it's the first time in, in my memory, I don't think I've even gone to a conference without some kind of hat I was wearing or some kind of thing, some platform I had, whether I was speaking at it or at leadership development or something. My wife and I just went, and the only platform and agenda I had, I just wanted to be close to God. I had no platform other than I'm his son and I want to receive. And so I went and uh, just the most beautiful times of, of worship, like glory, just pressed in on the room and just basking in the real thing. And if you've never experienced it, you're like, why is this guy crying? I, I wish I could help you feel it. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit does that to you today. But we're in, we're in these experiences, and uh, I wanted to be a good husband. So my wife has always had a dream. She always wanted to see Hollywood, and so I have no desire to see that. I don't care. But uh, we, we got one of those tours, and so we decided to go see Hollywood one of the afternoons, and we were leaving uh, the conference, and we hopped in a van, and we drove up the hills, and we went to the, the big lookout, the observe, Griffith Observatory. You get the lookout over California, and you see the San Bernardino Valley and the mountains. Just gorgeous, beautiful. Again, it was like a worship experience. seeing God, you're amazing. But then we left the mountain, and we went down the mountain, and we went down into, like, Hollywood Boulevard. And right there, like, Hollywood Boulevard, the, the, the epicenter of man's self-exaltation and then right next door, we went to Beverly Hills and we went to uh, Rodeo Drive and talk about the man's epicenter of self-justification and self-gratification, like all these false gods. And we went through it and man, like I got down to the Hollywood Boulevard and we're outside of like the Chinese theater. And my wife and I were both feeling it at this point. Like it was chaos, there's people everywhere and people are being pushy, like, like not like a Disney World where everything's awesome, but like they were just being pushy and knocking each other out of the way. And they were selling these stupid, cheap little uh, fake Oscars. I didn't buy one, by the way. This is a, this is a fake of a fake of a fake. Anyway, um, and they were selling these. And I just, my wife and I, like we walked around for about five minutes and then we left and we went back to the thing and waited. And I just like, the revelation in my heart of that stuff is so cheap and so fading and so fleeting and so dying. And it's like a glory that comes for a second and then goes away. It's so not lasting. And I remember my wife and I both saying, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. <sighs> to that glory that like my heart was made for. Like that, that place that only God can satisfy. See, when you have tasted the real thing, the counterfeit does not satisfy. I want to uh, invite you to stand with me. Everybody, all of our campuses, just stand with me for a minute. And I felt like the Lord wanted to create a moment here. Just for a minute, just stay with me. Hang tight, band. Just stay with me in this moment, okay? I felt like the Lord wanted to speak something into some of you, and He has been identifying as I have been speaking some spaces in your heart that you realize I have been serving this God, this God, this idol that just can't do it for me, and I've been living my life trying to get stuff out of it, like upside down, and God's been like saying, as you focus on me, 
and you make me Lord and you make much of me and you start to glorify me with your life, you will come alive. I felt like he was speaking to a few of you in different ways. One, there's some of you who you've just been longing to, 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 to be known like that longing for proximity. You feel like you're alone. You feel like you're not even fully alive. And I feel like the Lord's saying, if you turn to me, I will speak something into your soul that melts away that longing. I feel like there's some of you here who you're dealing with just like perfectionism. Like this, you're serving this God of your persona. And I feel like the Lord say, wants to say to you, it doesn't matter what anybody else says to you, you're beautiful. I made you in my image. I love you. And then there's some of you here who are like me and you are driven and you're a worker and you're a doer and you're a goer. And the Lord just wants to say to you, you have nothing to prove. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so I'm going to pray over you today. Um, I'm not going to ask you to pray with me. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're in the place where you need a touch from the real thing, I'd ask you just hold your hands out and open in a posture to receive. And I'm just going to pray over you that the Holy Spirit says something to your heart that I could never say. And that English, English or any other human language just couldn't say it. This is something that only God can do. And so if you're open, just in your own heart, just turn, your, turn yourself to Jesus and let, and let me pray over you. Holy Spirit, help me minister this. To the one here today uh, who feels alone and abandoned, who feels there isn't enough to go around, who feels they've got to scrape and claw and accumulate, hear the word of the Lord that says, I know you, I have known you since before you were born. I know every hair on your head. I like how I made you. I love who you are. And I accept you. To the one who's here, who you know that God made, you were made for the glory of perfection, that you're made, you're made to, to radiate. And that has turned you into fear of man and people pleasing and posturing and selfies and all and obsessing about how you look hear the word of the lord today you are fearfully and wonderfully made i did not make a mistake when i made you you are beautiful to me And to the one who has been striving and working and busy trying to prove something, turn to Christ right now and hear the word of the Lord. You are my son. I am pleased with you. You are my daughter. I am pleased with you. I enjoy you. I am proud of you. Well done. So, Father, in all of our need, we turn our hearts to you to satisfy the broken stuff in us that only you can satisfy, 
to wash away our inadequacies, to wash away our insecurities, to wash away our deficiencies, Lord, would you fill us fresh? Set us free as we behold your glory and are changed from glory to ever-increasing glory. In Jesus' name, amen.